He's kind of like the Joe Rogan of the hospitality industry right now. I've said this on Slick Talk many times before, and as time goes on, it becomes more and more true. Operators have been so used to multiple logins, different dashboards, and overall segregated data points for their hospitality brand. I'm proud to say this is no longer going to be the case for the industry. As a podcast partner, Journey MOS is made for operators by operators. One dashboard, one solution to keep your business in shape and ahead of the competition. If you think this is too good to be true, then you need to go to journey.com. That is J-U-R-N-Y.com to learn how Journey MOS can get you ahead of the big players in your market. And now back to the episode. So I had a lot of exposure, you know, um, you know, farming and, and, you know, my first couple of girlfriends, you know, in order to ever hang out with them, I had to go work on their dad's farms for the summer. And, uh, you know, and one of the things that was kind of interesting, I'll never forget it is, you know, I was 16 and I was with, you know, this gal's dad when they were filling up these trucks and tractors at this place and they kind of all knew each other, but it wasn't like, it wasn't a Chevron. It was a place where they all kind of went and they had these cards and I'm like, what is this? This Isn't a gas station. He said, well, this is our co-op. And it's a co-op that he had with, you know, 10 other farmers in the area. And, you know, he said, Ryan, this is what we do. We buy tankers of gas. We come in and then we track how many gallons we're each buying and we buy it in bulk and we buy it cheaper than if we went to the station. But they did the same thing on fertilizer, on seed, you know, a crop duster that's going across, you know, the fields. You know, if it's going to crop dust your field, you may as well keep going and do your neighbors as well. So they were leveraging that. And then the most important you know, piece of that was not only how they reduced their cost, but when the buyers would come into town to buy onions, potatoes and these you know, produce things, they're, they have to buy so much to meet their quota for their buying groups. And the easiest thing for them to do is to buy a thousand acres worth of, pro, you know, of product and they would pay a premium for it to not have to go out and get 50 acres of product here and 100 there and 40 from this guy. So they would work with these co-ops and the co-ops would actually get a higher price. So they were able to demand a higher price and operate at a lower cost. And, you know, what was interesting is, you know, Steve and I kind of rolled our stuff together. We instantly saw uh, a lift in our financials because of an ability to take on more with less um, and kind of, you know, set markets a little bit differently. You're listening to Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast, a podcast for those who are in and around the hospitality industry who love, live and breathe what they do. You can join us for candid and unscripted conversations with hospitality experts and founders as we go deeper into their personal stories while they're sharing their triumphs and trials that got them to where they are today. I'm your host, Will Slickers, and you're listening to an episode of Slick Talk, the Hospitality Podcast. Now, let's begin. In hotels and vacation rentals, the top complaints or issues are noise, garbage, and parking. I may not be able to solve all of your parking and garbage problems, but I could definitely help with your noise problems. And that actually might just help your garbage and parking problems too. So NoiseAware is the only 100% privacy safe noise monitoring solution that property managers and owners can use in order to ensure they avoid parties and other issues happening at their property. You won't get notified when a plate breaks. But if you have a little quiet get together that kind of gets out of hand like this, 
then NoiseAware will give you the peace of mind to ensure that you and your property, and of course, your profits, are protected. So use my code SLICKTALK20 to get 20% off of all noise monitoring devices and focus on the other important things that help you run your business. Now, thank you for checking out Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast. Get back to the episode. and Don't forget to check out NoiseAware while you're listening. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast. I'm super excited to be here with a, a legend in this space, pretty much just popped out of nowhere on my LinkedIn feed and then getting to know you and your business partner, Steve, I'm just seeing like, holy crap, you guys have built this empire um, that I didn't even see coming. So really excited to have Ryan Dame, who's one of the pound, or founders and partners of Casago or Casago, however you want to pronounce it. We'll get into that later in the episode. But Ryan, thank you so much for being on Slick Talk today. How are you doing? Good, man. Thanks for having me, Will. Of course. And for the audience sake, where are you based out of today? Today, I'm, I'm actually at the house. So I'm uh, Scottsdale, Arizona. I'm in the probably just sold the house. So kind of in the moving moving hell uh, portion <laughs> of getting out of here in the next like seven days. So uh, working from home and trying to help the family get everything wrapped up here and get out of here. Awesome. Yeah. And then, of course, like we kind of talked about uh, off screen is that, you know, conference season coming up. So, you know, hitting the road, it's going to be fun. You got multiple offices everywhere. So um, I want to dive in because, like we kind of mentioned in just a couple seconds ago, um, you know, Casago, Casago, the whatever you want to, you know, phrase it as. And I know Steve has an opinion, and I think you have an opinion too on how it's supposed to be pronounced. Um, I've heard multiple ways, even from Matt Landau. So it's like, okay, let's uh, let's see what we can figure out. But what is the story? Where does everything begin for you specifically? I think we'll definitely have to do a part two for Steve, but. Uh, yeah. Definitely want to find out how you kind of got into the space, what your journey is, and how you guys, you know, came together and built this amazing, amazing business. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, so the, you know, the story is pretty simple. I mean, Steve and I, coincidentally, we both started down our path of uh, vacation rental world um, almost about the same, like nearly within twelve months of each other, but just on different sides of the border. Truthfully, Steve started the, uh, his company down in Mexico. Uh, down in Puerto Penasco, which is now where our, our you know, Casago University is and a big part portion of our support center for Casago. Um, and I started, you know, doing vacation rentals here in Scottsdale, Arizona. Um, and then, you know, I kind of came from a real estate background. I had started a company. We sold to Realtor.com. I worked for Realtor.com for a couple of years. And through that, um, you know, got to travel over the country, work with a lot of MLS presidents and large, you know, brokerages around the country. Um, you know, and through that kind of got introduced through some brokers in Florida about vacation rentals. Um, and then after my two-year handcuffs were off with, you know, realtor.com, uh, moved to Arizona, bought some investment property, was trying to figure out how to rent it and kind of went back to one of my mentors in Florida and got, got thinking, you know, maybe I could do vacation rentals out here. Um, you know, back in the day, VRBO would actually give you a, a listing number. And I was one of, you know, I think I was one of the first like 500 rental properties in the state of Arizona and maybe one of the, you know, first, you know, 5,000 or 10,000 in the entire, you know, country. So it was kind of, I always remember that like listing number thinking, man, it's pretty interesting, you know, uh, how early on we were. And, you know, everybody thought, you know, it was kind of a crazy business. I remember my mom and dad saying like, no one's ever going to pay to sleep in someone else's bed. That makes zero sense. And, you know, you're crazy. So uh, cut to, you know, 
20 years later, here we are doing this and uh, it's been a ton of fun. Um, you know, Steve and I, you know, coincidentally, as Steve was growing his business in Mexico, he ended up buying a company here in Arizona. Um, I purchased a company out in Park City and one in Palm Springs and kind of kept growing, you know, our inventory. Steve ended up buying a company in, in Park City. And uh, all, all while we both had, you know, offices here in Scottsdale, Arizona. Um, and Steve became like a good sounding board for me. And I'd like to think, you know, me for him. And uh, we'd sit and, you know, meet and, you know, uh, over drinks or dinner, we'd sit and talk about the industry. We'd talk about, you know, owners that we had fired that, you know, hey, don't take this owner on in your program. You're going to, you'll, you'll regret it. Um, <clears throat> and we'd, we'd horse trade ideas and so forth. And, you know, over the years, you know, Steve would start saying, you know, we should do business together. We should figure out how to do something together. I'm like, dude, I would do anything for that. I would love that. Like, it would be so cool uh, to, you know, put something like that together. So right prior to COVID happening, um, we got really serious about it and started saying, you know, let's look for some opportunities. And we think that this COVID thing could, you know, shake out some opportunities. And we started, you know, talking to some of the brokers and people out in the industry saying, hey, you know, kind of looking and didn't really give them a lot of detail and, and uh, ended up coming across some opportunities to uh, work together um, and, and, to, and to, you know, and, and buy some and invest in some companies. Um, and I think, you know, kind of through that process, um, it was like the, the true definition of like one plus one equals three. Um, we started looking at, you know, our resources and teams and, you know, how we were doing things. We also started looking at, you know, how we had, you know, matching overhead in some cities like Park City and Scottsdale and, you know, different resources that we were utilizing. Um, but, you know, coincidentally, you know, a couple of the investments that we made ended up being some of the most successful acquisitions that either of us have made. Um, and so there was some real power there. And I think a real testament to, um, you know, it may be an unorthodox way of becoming business partners. Um, you know, people always say, don't become business partners with your friends. Um, and I think, you know, the best part about our story, at least from my perspective, I'd hope Steve would say the same as, you know, uh, we became friends through this process. You know, we were always, you know, it, I think we admired each other from afar uh, and business. And I always, you know, really admired, you know, Steve and his acumen. But through business partnership, you know, and rolling up my company, Padzoo and Costigo together, um, this is, you know, not only created an amazing friendship for Steve and I, but uh, has kind of created a really a fun opportunity for what we're doing with uh, with Casago. I love it. And you said Casago. So I, I'm going to say that's a that's a good, good, good reference point. Um, there's a lot to unpack there. And I kind of want to dive into some of the origin stuff kind of when you were because um, we'll definitely get into the Casago stuff. Um, but when you sold to Realtor.com, um, I want to ask you just more or less because you you've both you and Steve have both mentioned selling or acquiring companies. So can you walk us through that process, especially in our industry? Um, when a lot of, I would say, vacation rental managers are asset light when it comes to the actual homes themselves. They don't actually own a lot of the properties. Unless you're experiencing something different, I would love to kind of hear what that back, you know, whole process is like. Yeah. Um, you know, I think the, you know, and Steve is, uh, Steve's the master of it. I mean, he's done, I think he's definitely done more deals than, uh, than I have. And I think, you know, in the last few years together, we've probably looked at, I mean, I would three dozen different deals and doing different LOIs and looking at P&Ls. Um, it's also been quite an education from understanding what the economics of these companies are. Um, and I think, you know, listen, when you, when you look at, you know, P&Ls and you look at people's financials, you, you can't unsee them. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you have these NDAs and you know, you know, but it also kind of helps create um, a bar, I think, you know, for what, you know, operations, what best in class operations look like and what, you know, 
maybe a wounded bird looks like. And uh, I think through that, it's really kind of, you know, helped us really kind of develop uh, what we're building here at Costigo of understanding like what best practices look like. And I think that's one of the best, you know, um, you know, lessons that I've learned through this is creating those standards. Even Steve and I, you know, we were acquaintances, we shared some information, but as we really kind of, you know, put the wedding rings on together, um, you know, we started opening up the books and understanding, hey, here's the things that I thought maybe I was doing phenomenally well that he was doing better at and vice versa. And it really starts to say, hey, this is where the bar needs to be. These are what these percentages need to be. These are what the operating cost should be. This is what the profit should look like. Um, these are you know, certain operating costs. These are expenditures that are working and getting results. These are how you, you know, deploy capital. Um, and so, you know, through that, you know, that's been part of, you know, what the beauty of, you know, our ecosystem that we're building here at Casago is, is, you know, really an ecosystem of best practices and understanding, you know, how we can help optimize businesses in different ways. Um, and in the same vein, having these operators that are coming into our ecosystem that are helping level up in certain areas of our operations and, and helping, you know, showing uh, and sharing a free flow of information that's, you know, helping, you know, all, you know, like they say, the high tide rises all boats. I mean, that certainly applies to, you know, kind of the model that, that we're doing. But, you know, to go back to the, you know, acquisition side, um, you know, I think in a nutshell, it's really safe to say that uh, as Steve and I've bought deals, you know, as, as, you know, far back as, you know, 12, 15 years ago, um, the deal front's getting much more interesting. It's getting much more complex. Um, it's getting much more sophisticated. Um, and, you know, deals that we used to be able to go in and say, hey, you know, we'll give you a you know, a, a portion, you know, 25 or 30% down and pay this off over three years. That used to be a pretty good deal term. Um, and now what you're finding is with the much more sophisticated financial people getting involved in this industry, you know, really, if you look at it, I mean, a five times earning deal is a 20% return on asset, you know, on the investment. Um, and there's a lot of people that, you know, are, are especially in the private equity world, they're saying, hey, that's, you know, 20% return, you know, where can we get that? And these deals, you know, look really appetizing to them. And they have no problem saying, hey, well, 75% down and a one-year retention payment at the end of the year, um, that's really appetizing for, you know, these groups. Um, you know, the big question, you know, is really, you know, how is it going to get operated? Can it get optimized? Can they pull levers in order to optimize the business correctly um, and protect that return? And that's going to be something that, you know, I think we're going to, uh, have a lot of fun watching over the next, you know, few years. Cause I think there's a lot of people doing it right. And I think there's a lot of people that really, um, are going to get, uh, a clinic of what this business is all about. Yeah. And I think, uh, I can kind of pick up on who you're maybe talking about when it comes to that. Um, but we won't say names. Uh, I, I find this really interesting. So uh, I'm, I'm going to quote a good friend of mine and uh, a good sponsor of the show and, you know, shout out to David Jacoby and the team at hostfully, but, um, you know, he said uh, a while ago when we we're looking at the industry report and it was going into once you look under the hood of a hotel or a restaurant, they're most likely going to be similar engines, right? They're not a very complex business model when it comes to, you know, desk operations, housekeeping, like there's a lot of standards and things that have been implemented throughout the industry over the years. Um, vacation rentals, like you've been doing this for 20 years and you've probably seen it change so much. Uh, and so his quote was, you know, once you look into the or the hood of a vacation rental management company, they're not going to be the same. It's not going to be applicable to every company that you look at or, or you know, maybe if you're a homeowner and you're interviewing a ton, you're going to see that they're very different uh, structures and, and models and tech and all this other stuff. So for you guys getting into 
all these deals in the back end. And like once you said, uh, you know, you see the PNL, you can't unsee it, right? Like you've seen the dirty laundry, uh, so to speak. And so for you, is that statement true? Is once you look into the hood of a vacation rental management company, are they not the same or are they applicable in some areas, but it's very different than the others? Because we all know the inventory is very different, right? So how yeah. does that look when you guys are going under the hood? You know, it's a great question. You know, I uh, was speaking at the Northwest Association show last week and, you know, or I guess two weeks ago now. And, you know, my session was kind of called, you know, what is the future? What, you know, it was essentially what's the future of vacation rentals look like? And, you know, how do we as small managers compete with what's, you know, becoming a very, you know, um, Wall Street funded, you know, um, you know, group of operators and roll ups and and scale and all of this. And I think the true answer to that is, you know, are, there's, you know, I call it, you know, the in my opinion, the ideal manager is what, really what I consider a hybrid manager. It's essentially someone that has the ability to, um, there's certainly pieces of our business that are scalable, right? Like if you do, you know, the entrepreneur just did an article on the top, you know, 500, you know, Wall Street companies. And one of the number four most scaled business on that list was someone in our space is Airbnb. Um, they do a great job at scale. They're a SaaS-based platform. Their onboarding is like slick, right? Like if we could onboard as managers properties as quickly as a, you know, everyday Joe can go onto Airbnb and upload a property and activate it, um, it would reduce costs significantly. So, you know, we can learn a lot, in my opinion, from the Airbnbs of the world on how they handle, um, you know, customer complaints, how they handle quality controls, their review scores. Um, I think that they have a lot of scalable things, you know, even if, you know, love them or hate them. I think Vacasa has, you know, some very scalable pieces to their call centers, um, to their accounting, to their back end office, to their marketing machine that they have. The owner acquisition piece is automated. Um, I think there's a lot of pieces of our business that are scalable, um, you know, but on the other hand, the part that is very similar in, you know, in management groups as you look at them is, is that local hospitality, that local brand hero, um, the guy that's on the ground doing the things. And I think that's the thing that's very hard to scale. I mean, and I think that's why, you know, one of the things that, you know, I kind of, you know, share and talk about, you know, it's kind of became my mantra this year um, at Sago is, you know, to help people, you know, um, you know, compete nationally and win locally. How do you compete on the things that are, you know, very scalable and that we can compete head to head with, um, you know, whether it's, you know, accumulating all of your users across the country to create a very powerful uh, number on credit card processing, for example. So, you know, and I think it doesn't take, you know, anybody with, you know, a brain surgeon to figure out if you're, if you're doing $150 million in credit card processing um, as a group, you're going to get a better rate on that processing than someone that's going to be in a local market doing an amazing job doing two to $3 million in credit card processing. Is that a scalable thing? Yes. Is it doable on your own as an individual operator? No. Um, so I think that co-oping of, you know, those kind of resources becomes very important. And so that's where I say, you know, if we can become, you know, more, you know, in some ways more like these national guys, but keep our local flavor, I think that's the important part. And I think that's the part that's not scalable. And I think that's the part that's very consistent. The inconsistency that I see as you look at these companies really comes down to their operating cost, um, their I was, I'm going to say their lack of SOPs, their lack of procedure, their lack of financial discipline, um, the lack of KPIs and letting KPIs drive the decisions that are being made in the business, um, the lack of budgets. 
I mean, it's, you know, it's scary how few managers are running with budgets. Um, Steve Milo asked a question at, at the Northwest Association show, like how many people had a budget in a room of, you know, 60 people, I think four people raised their hand. Those kind of things become, I think a lot of times people are ready to sell their business and they don't even know what their financial metrics are until they actually sit down with their accountant and say, hey, I need to get these numbers to present to this you know, group that wants to maybe purchase our company. And only then do they realize how much money they're making and what their business is actually worth. And I think, you know, a lack of education in that department is, you know, is really, you know, pertinent in our industry, unfortunately. 100%. And it even goes into um, kind of a lot of the conversations that uh, Brooke from Vintory kind of talks about, right? Like the value of a contract, like, yeah, there's value to that, but you know, you, that can't be the only thing that you're selling to your business. Yeah. Um, so you, you mentioned a couple of things, kind of like the co-op, right? Like, so this is one thing I really get excited about because as a podcaster, right, we're on slick talk, but we're a part of the hospitality FM network, which one thing we didn't realize when we started the network was the ability to get these like, you know, microphones in bulk and at discount and to do these things for all these other podcasters in different spaces of hospitality. You guys are doing the same thing with Casago university. So yeah. What does Casago University and what what do you like what goes into building kind of that co-op network where you're able to deploy the resources at a grand scale? You're able to cut costs for these local managers, which that is a big thing. You know, having six properties of, of our own, um, it's it's not uh, it's not the, the the profit margins when you're only making a 20 to 25 percent commission off of revenue uh, yeah. is not. It's not big. So you guys being able to kind of cut down that cost for them and increase their profit in, in some way or form, it's pretty incredible. So I kind of want to know how how's that kind of all form together with you guys? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. You know, it's it's interesting. I grew up in Idaho, you know, on a small town. I grew up in a small town on the border of Oregon and Idaho with 10,000 people in it. Literally all of my friends, except for one, I think, you know, their, their parents were farmers. So I had a lot of exposure, you know, um, you know, farming and and you know my first couple of girlfriends you know in order to ever hang out with them i had to go work on their dad's farms for the summer and uh you know and one of the things that was kind of interesting i'll never forget it is you know, i was 16 and i was with you know this gal's dad when they were filling up these trucks and tractors at this place and they kind of all knew each other but it wasn't like it wasn't a chevron it was a place where they all kind of went and they had these cards and i'm like what is this, this isn't a gas station he said well this is our co-op and it's a co-op that he had with you know 10 other farmers in the area and, you know, he said, Ryan, this is what we do. We buy tankers of gas. We come in and then we track how many gallons we're each buying and we buy it in bulk and we buy it cheaper than if we went to the station. But they did the same thing on fertilizer, on seed, you know, a crop duster that's going across, you know, the fields. You know, if it's going to crop dust your field, you may as well keep going and do your neighbors as well. So they were leveraging that. And then the most important you know, piece of that was not only how they reduced their cost, but when the buyers would come into town to buy onions, potatoes and these you know, produce things, they're, they have to buy so much to meet their quota for their buying groups. And the easiest thing for them to do is to buy a thousand acres worth of, pro, you know, of product and they would pay a premium for it to not have to go out and get 50 acres of product here and a hundred there and 40 from this guy. So they would work with these co-ops and the co-ops would actually get a higher price. So they were able to demand a higher price and operate at a lower cost. And, you know, what was interesting is, you know, Steve and I kind of rolled our stuff together. We instantly saw a lift in our financials because of an ability to take on more with less um, and kind of, you know, set markets a little bit differently. And then I, you know, and so as, you know, we rolled out this franchise model, um, you know, and, you know, Steve said, hey, 
this is, you know, and Steve is just, you know, I love Steve. And one of the things I think that, you know, his, his, you know, God given talent is this organizational and culture piece that he's created. Um, I was always so envious of what he had created specifically down in Mexico with this culture and this university that he'd put in with training and just SOPs and everything was methodical. Um, and I was always just like, geez, this is just, and he, and he was always open to share these ideas. And I think, you know, um, that happened with scale, right? So I think, you know, Costco has 27 locations now, but even as early as having like 12 locations, um, there was becoming an infrastructure, how to support that network, whether it's some technical yeah. support, SOP support, education support, continuing ed support, after hours, call centers, all of these things to make sure that whatever was being promised was being delivered on. And, you know, I think that what, you know, one of the things that, you know, realized very quickly is, hey, we built a system here that is scalable and has proven to be scalable and continues to, um, you know, add yield as you add inventory and, and product, you know, I, you know, IE, you know, homes and, and new you know, locations to it. Um, so that's really, you know, in a sense, what, you know, Casago is, is, you know, two years ago, we've rolled out a franchising model. And it's, you know, it's not your typical franchising model. We're not saying, hey, you have to just be an entrepreneur that wants to be in our space, put a, you know, a, go build a subway, you know, with all and, and sell sandwiches in this way and put up a flag on the corner. Um, you know, the majority of our franchisees are actually existing operators. Um, they're coming in, they're looking at, you know, the model, they're understanding the tech stack. Um, they do go through our tech stack demo. They're getting on our Friday calls. They're understanding the culture that we're, you know, creating inside of Costago. And then obviously there's an economic piece to it as well, right? They understand that when they bring their 150 units into our 3,500 units, that there's economies of scale to that. And so essentially you have the beauty of, I think of what we're building is, you know, we're helping people de-risk de their business in a big way. We're helping them leverage some tools and assets, you know, the tech stack, the call centers, and some of those things that, again, the scalable and leverageable things. But then at the end of the day, they still own their business. They're, you know, they're winning on their local market. They're loving on their owners. They're, they're able to go out and build the business. They're able to get more involved in advocacy, more involved in regulation, and know that they have this back office team that they can lean on for resources um, and, you know, and cost containment. And that's, you know, kind of, you know, I guess in a nutshell, the beauty of what we're doing and why this movement that, you know, we've started about a year and a half ago is, you know, starting to, you know, have this snowball effect where you said you'd never heard of Costago before. Yeah. Um, it's fascinating because like Steve and I was like, it's been 20 years in the making, but I think, you know, literally to your point, the last couple of years, people are starting to, to hear about it. And a lot of it's because we now have, you know, this, these handful of advocates that are all over the country, you know, doing, um, you know, being our advocates and speaking our language and honestly just promoting us and selling Costago and talking to the strengths of what we've got. Super fascinating. Cause like for, for me, you know, you, you think that a lot of people would understand that it's not overnight success. It's not Ryan Dame pops up out of nowhere on my LinkedIn and he just started and they just got this whole like success story. It's 20 years in the making. A lot of people like I wish we like, you know, Gary V. I don't know if you're a fan of Gary V and the entrepreneurship stuff that he talks about, but yeah, you know, yeah I love this stuff. Uh, perfect. Well, it's like I, I would love for us. I wish it was like was kind of a normal thing is like I wish we could find people like you and Steve and others in our space or even just in the world who we know like pre, you know, pre Casago, right, that they're going to be successful and just put a camera on them 24 seven. Just watch this 20 years of footage that's going to be the building blocks of what they've you know accomplished and 
um great you know another i guess couple shout outs is just like having a i went to san francisco for a weekend and you know met up with andrew kitchell andrew Bate, and uh david jacoby and and just had some drinks and dinner and we were talking about the whole journey of everybody's you know uh, certain technology or the media company and all this stuff. And it's like, man, this is not a lot of people are just now getting to meet us or getting to see these companies in the space being like, oh man, like it must be so cool to do what you do. It's like, yeah, but this is years in the making, right? Like <laughs> you saw my $20 mic that I had when I first started, right? You'd be like, oh, this guy's a podcaster, whatever. Like it's not that, not that big, but you know, you get to the the story behind it. It's super incredible. But the one thing I think a lot of people miss out on and what you guys have proven to be completely opposite is that they don't capture those SOPs. They don't capture those systems. They don't capture that, I guess, uh, what do you call uh, that kind of like cult-like vibe, right? Like where you get people just so drinking the Kool-Aid that they're just in love with the whole system. Yeah. Um, they pretty much become your biggest advocate. They become your biggest marketing play. They become your biggest everything, right? So they be yeah. become your biggest probably revenue and inventory source too because they love the brand so much that they're like, Hey, we're just going to bring tons and tons of properties. Um, so it's super interesting that, you know, I wish again, wish we had a camera on you from 20 years ago when you're starting to build this and how it all kind of came together. But yeah, for everyone listening is not an overnight thing. It's a very much well-oiled machine that just takes a lot of learning and a yep. lot of dedication. Like you have to be hungry for it. You can't just be like, oh, I'm going to wake up at nine and, see what happens today and you know all this stuff you have to really like put your mind to it and focus and and really understand like it's a daily thing you're not just going to do it one day here one day there it's like every day you need to be obsessed and just keep yeah. going keep going so I, I love hearing your guys story on how you guys really have proven that model to be as you know true you just obsess over it yeah. um so tell us about your friday calls really quick i want to hear about this uh the the friday you know network with Costago. so when you're involved yeah. or your franchisee or whatever it may be uh, what is that? What's a normal Friday look like for you guys? You know, so we do a Friday, you know, I think, you know, when you talk about cult, like, I mean, I mean, that's essentially our culture, right? I mean, so, um, you know, one I, of the things, I didn't mean it in a bad way It's very no, good. No, no, no. Yeah. I mean, no, I'm taking, I'm not taking it that way, but it's, I mean, that's, that's really what it is. I mean, Steve, you know, his background is he's an army ranger. So, you know, when you, when you talk about militant discipline and you talk about culture, um, you know, that is truly, you know, driven through, you know, a lot, you know, in, in the military, that's, you know, that's, that's everything, right. Just, you know, getting, you know, it's, it's very, you know, very militant, if you will. Um, yeah. but there's also a community, there's also a sense of community, a sense of culture there. There's a sense of pride. I mean, even after retired, you know, retired army military, my, my grandfather was, you know, retired army, my mm -hmm. uncle's retired, you know, air force. There's a sense of pride there. There's a, they still hold their head high even through retirement and all the yeah. way until they're, you know, my grandpa was, you know, buried in his, and his, uh, you know, in his uniforms and things. And, you know, so I think that there's a huge sense of pride there and that's essentially, you know, something that's kind of, you know, spilt over into our culture, but we do do a, uh, we have a, you know, thing called orange. And so I'm just going to grab this cause it's, we carry, I carry this in my bag, but every, every day we do what's called an orange call and that's on a local level, but we have, uh, what we call our, our, this is our orange credo. And so inside of this is essentially, okay. um, you know, Every letter stands for something, you know, O is for owner centric, R is for renters. These are things that we live by. This is a, the way that, you know, essentially, you know, the way we look at this is every question and every decision that we make as a company could be answered inside of our creed. So when people say, Hey, oh, boss, I don't know what to do. Like, what, how does this work? You know, it literally is, you know, what is, what would orange say? How does orange ask you to treat renters? 
Um, you know, how does the, you know, you know, we're our, you know, we're the owner's advocate. We have to stand up for the owner. We have to, they're our, you know, they're our customer. The renters are guests. We have to make sure we treat them with genuine hospitality. And, and when we start working off of principles um, that surround this creed of ours, then the decisions become very easy and simple to understand. And it becomes that guiding, you know, principle to the company. Um, and it's something that we focus on every Friday. So every company, every branch does their own Friday, uh, daily meeting with Orange. And then every Friday we do a community meeting where we have, you know, all 27 plus branches uh, on a Friday call. Um, somebody gets assigned the letter of the day, they go through it, and then they share an example of, you know, how they personified that in their uh, week that week. And then and usually shares a story, which is, you know, always very, very cool. Uh, last week, uh, it was a really memorable one. Our general manager from Snowshoe talked about a lady who needed a uh, to cancel and wanted to rebook and had a special needs son, uh, which hit clo close to you know home for me. And, uh, you know, the lady was very grateful and to the point where, you know, in Snowshoe, West Virginia, all the rentals are on top of the mountain. The lady and, the, and our general manager said, man, I wish I could give you a hug. I'm sorry you're going through this. That lady came down to the office, brought her special needs son to the office and said, you know, is Jetta here? And, yeah. you know, here's my name. And she said, I'm here to collect my hug and introduced, you know, our team to her son give Jetta a hug and uh, it put tears in my eyes. But I mean, that, you know, hearing that's the kind of stories that we share on these calls. That's the kind of culture that we have as a company. Um, and that's really kind of, you know, the secret sauce and the magic of, you know, that you you can't, you know, you can't just write that down. You can't create that. You can't force that. That's just becomes part of, you know, the culture of who we are. Um, and then on those calls, you know, we'll start with the letter. Um, we'll go through, um, you know, some, we switch it up, David, you know, week by week, but we usually have a, a thought leader that's on the call. Um, some of the people that you've mentioned on this call, the Brooke Fouts of the world, the Matt Landos of the world, um, you know, our Airbnb reps, you know, you know, we had somebody that came in and specialized in sex trafficking and how do I identify sex trafficking, um, you know, and in the airlines and in the travel space, talking to our general managers, like, how do we identify this? How do we report this? Like, these are just really cool things that our industry doesn't talk about. Um, and what we do with that is, you know, share that with our group and and give access to resources. So it really does become, you know, kind of a mentorship, you know, for, you know, our groups and our people, getting them educated, getting them, you know, um, you know, some exposure to those thoughts. And then as we bring in new offices and new partners, we let those partners talk about, you know, their their uh, their new location. So two weeks ago, we had our new partner from St. Croix, uh, Robin Bass, you know, share with us, you know, her lo her location. Um, and then, you know, uh, Kip last week, uh, we have a new franchisee opening in Smith Mountain Lake, uh, Virginia. So Kip got to uh, share, you know, with his team, uh, Smith Mountain Lake, show us all about it, sell us on why it's great. Talk to yeah. us about their their clients. And so, you know, really getting a sense of, you know, our community, our team, our people, our locations, um, you know, and just building that bond as, as a group has become, you know, one of the things that, I mean, I was missing in my professional life. Um, I had an amazing, you know, we built Padzoo to this amazing company that was, you know, highly profitable and great. And I had a ton of fun running it. Um, but in a lot of ways, I felt like I was on an island. I'd never had, a, a, Steve's the first true business partner I've ever had. Um, and so, you know, but there, that sense of community and being able to have a sounding board and have a network of people is something I was, you know, genuinely missing. Um, and so this, you know, just feels like home, you know, having these, having these group calls and having this team that, you know, um, we can all lean on each other. It's became, you know, something that, uh, has made me professionally much better. I, I love that story, uh, of the, the mom bringing her son that, that like, you got me there on that one because like that just that speaks volumes and a lot of people 
Like I come from the hotel world. So I had that happen in a lot within our property because we're in person, right? Like where the staff is on the property yeah. um, versus, you know, vacation We have that hard time of being able to connect with our guests physically just because, you know, we're, we're either at an office or we're, we're all remote, whatever that case may be. Um, so to have that ability to have your guests come out to the office is super incredible. And I have a brother with uh, Down syndrome. We're twins. So like that in itself, like that story is just super cool. Yeah. Uh, no, I love that. And you kind of talk about, you know, the founding like as you're, you know, as a founder, right? Like you said, this feels like home. And so uh, for you, can you kind of go into just your overall, like what, what's been the hardest part with, you know, kind of you know, either starting a successful company that you were able to sell, but then also then coming into, or did you, and was that the company that you sold was Padzu or? No. So Padzu was my, my vacational company that we merged, okay. you know, with Costigo. Yeah. Okay. So uh, but you've had success prior to Padzu. So yeah. that's also like kind of explain your founding founding story or like what maybe the biggest challenge is getting into it versus now to where you guys are, you have this co-pilot, right? You have this someone that's a sounding board, which is very, uh, it's very hard to find that right person, especially as a solo founder, you're so used to doing everything yourself and then letting people in, it can be probably a lot more complicated. So What's what's been the biggest challenge overcoming to then now where you guys are just like rocking and rolling together as a as a team? Yeah, I think you know I think a lot of it's just you know we became and you know this was an eye opening thing for me, but like once once you sit down and have it explained to you like, hey Ryan, here's your personality and here's why you probably aren't great at these things. I'm like, yeah, you're right. I hate those things. I'm not good at those things. Those are definitely not my strengths. You know, one of the things that we've deployed um, at Costco is you know doing a lot of culture indexing. Um, you know, Brooke Fouts kind of, you know, introduced yeah. us to that, to that methodology. And, you know, it, it was really interesting because being a single founder, you know, there's a ton of stuff that I just truly didn't like to do. There's a couple of things I did and I actually thought I was good at it. And I realized I was really bad at it. Like revenue management, I thought I had kind of figured out, like cracked the code on some of that until um, I met our current revenue manager, Tom Lyons, who's just like, you know, he's like a ninja at it. Um, and his, you know, his process of how he goes through it is so much more methodical and logical and, and, you know, the, the numbers speak for themselves. He's just great at it. Um, you know, but the other part is, you know, understanding like our culture index profiles, it's, you know, um, I had a business professor that once said, like, you only go, you know, there's only a couple of reasons why you go into business with somebody. Um, they either have money that you have, they have a skill set you don't have, um, or they have, uh, you know, or, or they have money they don't have, you have skill set you don't have, or they have time you don't have. And mm -hmm. so, you know, when I met Steve, we were both, you know, going, you know, 100 miles an hour. Um, you know, we both self-funded our business. You know, one of the things that we're really proud about at Costco is we don't have any outside funding. We have no private equity funding. We've truly put that. this thing together ourselves. Um, but the thing that became obvious, especially through Culture Index, is, you know, in that, in that world, you know, Steve is a, um, he's an enterpriser. So, you know, he's like, a, that's a true CEO type profile. Um, and, you know, very methodical in his thought process, his military backgrounds that way. He's great at systems. He's great at culture, um, you know, and, and creating you know, and putting the right people in place. You know, I have more acclimate towards the sales side and, and, and you know, coincidentally, my, you know, my CI profile is Rainmaker, which mm -hmm. is, you know, is, is a true salesman, entrepreneurial type of thing. And so, you know, it's been really fun to, you know, do this because, you know, Steve, you know, helps create these great products and is going to like, Hey, can you sell this? Like, would this help? And I'm like, yeah. And then I'll come back like, Steve, we need this. If we had this, like, and Steve, like, it's so great because like, honestly, he's just the, the best business partner in the world because he's just be like, I think we can do that. Like, 
you know, give me a little time. And then he'll literally, it's like, there's very few times he comes back and says like, it's impossible. He'll be like, this is how we can do it. This is all it will take. How important is it? Let's prioritize it. And, uh, you know, so that that team of, you know, kind of being me getting out the field and figuring out what's important and what those silver bullets are that we need to help make people successful. And, you know, Steve's ability to implement that, deploy that and, and you know, and create systems around it um, are, you know, part of what's made this for me, like the most fun I've ever had professionally. Yeah, because it gives you the freedom to really run with it, right? Like if you enjoy going to meet people out in Bend, Oregon or out in Park City, Utah or wherever you want to go and, and get these new deals, uh, that allows you to go do that. And then it allows you to not like hand off and like, all right, my job is done, hand off. Um, oh, yeah. but it does allow you to have that that ability to go, okay, step away, build that relationship still, but allow the product and the team to do their thing. Uh, I think you told me a story on our pre-chat that you kind of, what, the Steve and the two, you had like two developer guys at a house and they were like, you walked in and the whole windows are just covered in sticky notes and, and mapping of uh, systems and all this other stuff. Like, is that something that you walked in on and you're like, whoa, this is like way beyond. No, this is, this was just recently like, you know, Steve's like, Hey, I think I'm going to, uh, bow out on going to the Chicago VRMA and these, we had some, we had a, a window open just to get our whole programming team together. He's like, you know, let's divide and conquer. I think I should go do this and you go to VRMA and, and that's what we did. And while I was at VRMA, he like sends a picture of like their war room and it's literally like six foot sticky notes just hanging off these windows, like floor to ceiling with roadmaps and this. And he's like, and it's just funny because I would enjoy that for about a day or two. Steve did that for seven days and was just nerding out on it and just doing it. It was awesome. And, and he's like, look what we're up to. And, you know, every day he's sending me like, Hey, what do you think about this and that? And would this be cool? And can you add to this? And, you know, it was just that, that part of it was awesome because, you know, I love being in Chicago at the VRMA and hanging out with everybody and talking to everybody. And Steve was creating this, you know, roadmap, you know, for this, you know, with our team of engineers um, and he's just, I mean, he's magic at that. And he has such a great mind around that. And uh, so I think that's a good example of, you know, two people doing what they loved and, and helping move the needle uh, in important ways. You know, both, both those are equally important things, you know, for a business to develop and grow and, um, you know, being able to have a partner like that, you know, who, you know, Steve's great. He's great at the people side of it too. He, he thrives in that. And he's one of the most likable guys you'll ever meet. Um, and socially, he, he's social, he's a social animal like I am. Um, but you know, he definitely has an innate skill to, you know, to really have some foresight when it comes to the tech and the process and, and, you know, how to develop systems. I, I really admire, you know, his, his, you know, thought process on that for sure. For sure. He and I had a, like, it was supposed to be like a quick phone call when I was in Mexico and uh, it turned out to be like a 30, 40 minute phone call where we're like, Oh, go back and forth, go back and forth. I was like, dang, this guy's really cool. So I can see where the personality does stand out as well. Uh, where you guys, and I, he probably gets a ton of energy cause he was, being sociable with his engineers, right? He wasn't just by himself building out roadmaps and being like a, a mad scientist. It was with people as a collaborative event. So that's really cool. Yeah, um, that's for sure. That happens to me in his office all the time. We'll walk into each other's office and all of a sudden you like stand and then you sit and then it all of a sudden it's been an hour and yeah. you're like, oh yeah. So we can, yeah, we can go down. We can go down into some, you know, conversations that, yeah, you think there's going to be two minutes and they turn out being an hour and a half, but those are always fun. I love it. I love it. Well, uh, I always like to ask a couple of ending and like, closing questions. Uh, yeah. The one I would like to ask you specifically because you've had success prior to Costco, you having you're having success with Costco now. Um, you know, for any entrepreneur out there, right? We're we're a focused hospitality podcast, but I think there's a lot of lessons learned from your story, from your story with Steve. 
um, that could apply to any entrepreneur, no matter what the industry. So if you had one or two things to say um, for someone who's really early with just an idea to someone who's, you know, seeing massive success um, as well, what would you, what would you tell them? What was, what would be like your piece of like your two cents? Sure. Um, you know, I think yeah, that's a good one. Um, yeah, I think for me, I, the recommendation I would give is if you're getting in the indie industry, I think the most important thing is to surround yourself by the biggest thought leaders that you can, um, you know, try to get as close to people as you can. I mean, when I came in the industry, um, you know, we, I, I made a point to try to, you know, get to know people, um, extend myself, you know, and, and, and be servant leadership with people that you wanted to be closer to. I mean, this industry is not brain surgery. That's the truth. Um, and, you know, and we can all, you know, everyone has an ability to be successful in this business. I can assure you that, you know, tying yourself closer to people that have been there and done that is going to help expedite that process. Um, certainly part of the reason that, you know, I'm having so much fun with Steve is, you know, even after doing it for 20 years, I continue to learn more. Um, and, you know, I've created, you know, what I think is one of the best networks of people in this industry, people that I consider brothers and sisters and friends and, you know, people that I know I can lean on that I know will show up and I know that will, um, you know, give me the, the real, you know, the real hard answers and, and be honest and truthful and have an ability to share and, you know, and to be able to share back. Like I say it all the time, um, you know, people, you know, even when we do speaking engagements, I, I feel like we share a lot about the culture and, and cost to go secret sauce. Um, I'm always fascinated how little execution people have because this playbook, you know, it's, it's not, it's, it's not secret, right? It's, it really does to your point, it comes down to showing up every day and do, and putting in the work. Um, so the more that you can, you know, even listen to, you know, your podcast and listen to the, you know, experts, um, there's a whole school of knowledge out there in our space more than ever. 20 years ago, I didn't have, there was no podcast out there. I, I used to show up at these VRMAs and literally it was just a bunch of old gray haired people. And I was like, I felt like the young guy. And now I feel like the old guy because there's all these tech guys coming in and all this amazing technology and, and you know, money coming into the space. But, you know, tie yourself to people that have been, you know, have been there and tie yourself to people that, you know, have ideas, offer services. I mean, when I got when I started early, this guy that I told you was my mentor, like I said, can I just come down and, and sit in your vacation rental office for two weeks? I went to Florida. I paid for my own hotel. I worked side by side his staff, paid for my own meals. And just I got schooled, man. I got an education. When I came back, I was really the first vacation rental company in Scottsdale. Nobody was doing it. Um, and I didn't do it perfectly, but I totally knew I had an advantage over everyone else that, you know, started doing it because I'd understand what a, you know, what a business operates and looks like at scale. And I understood my margins and I understood some of the important pieces of starting the business. And I, you know, I, I would have figured it out, but I think I cleared a lot more hurdles early on because of those relationships and being willing to, you know, to volunteer and, and build those relationships with people that could help. I seriously love that. That's perfect. That's a great snippet we'll be posting on social um, but for the last final question where we send, uh, every listener, where could they find you? What's the best place you want them to connect? Is it the website? Is it a social media platform? Where do they go to learn more about Ryan Dame or Costco? Yeah. So, I mean, I, there's two things we're doing, uh, Costco, you know, we have, a, we have a pretty robust Instagram page. Um, and we're also kind of starting a, a Costco, kind of a Costco university guru type page that, you know, that there's going to be a lot of stuff. But honestly, we're going to, me and Steve are going to be contributing a lot to it personally. And a lot of our leadership team, you're going to get, you know, snippets from Tom Lyons, our revenue manager, Bill Johnson, our COO, Katrina, our business development people. And honestly, it's, it's going to be, again, 
ideas and information that's going to be super, you know, helpful for people. It's going to be a free education of trying to, you know, share more about the industry because, you know, for us, it, it really does become as this industry gets more regulation, the more professionalized we can get and the more information we can share and the, you know, and the less hiccups we can help people have in our space and in certain cities, the better and more professionalized this industry is going to get at a more rapid rate. And that's really important to us, so, which is why we're doing some of that. But our Instagram stuff is, is you know, uh, going to continue to be more and more powerful. Um, and we're going to start, you know, continuing. We started it a few weeks ago, but starting to put more and more content out there and, and sharing of ideas. You know, Steve and I are both on LinkedIn. Um, you know, and I'm just, I say this all the time, like we're two guys that if you want a 30 minute conversation or have an idea or want some feedback, um, you know, we have an open door policy and we, we love meeting new people in the industry and love getting involved and, and, and advocating for, you know, this industry that, that we're so passionate about. Awesome. I love it. And I'm a big fan of LinkedIn too. So, uh, I will make sure to tag you guys, uh, your guys LinkedIn in the show notes. So slick talk listeners, you heard it here first, go ahead, check out all the show notes, like, and subscribe to everything. Casago, sorry. And, uh, <laughs> and, Dave, and, uh, we will go ahead and see you guys again next week. Thank you so much for listening, and thank you to our show partners for making Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast, possible. We hope you enjoy the show, and we would love to connect with you outside of the podcast. So you can follow us on all of our social media channels for daily hospitality content, or find us on slicktalkthepodcast.com. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode. I'm your host, Will Slickers, and we will see you guys all again next week. This episode is brought to you by my friends at Hostfully, and if you're a property manager anywhere in the country, then you definitely need to look at joining Hostfully for their property management software or their digital guidebooks, because we all know that streamlining your operations as a property management company or a host can be super difficult and time-consuming, and this is the tool that helps you take care of that and earn back time from your day and to actually have a life. So if you haven't already, go to Hostfully.com, use my code SLICKTALK20 and make sure that you have that ready to go because it will be a game changer for you. So go ahead, go to the link in the show notes, hostfully.com, use code SLICKTALK20 and enjoy having some time back in your life. And now back to the episode. As I've been growing my business and finding new ways to add to my property portfolio, I have to think about how I can anticipate the homeowner's needs, just like I do for my guests. One of the things owners always ask is, how is my property going to be protected? What happens if something gets damaged or worse? These are valid questions and concerns, and I have an opportunity to address these concerns before they even get mentioned, all thanks to having Safely as part of my toolkit. I can ensure all stakeholders are covered during a guest stay and use this information as a way to grow my business by ensuring my property owners know they can trust that I have them covered. If you're a professional property manager, then you need to get safely in your tool belt so you can focus on operating and growing your business. Thanks for listening to Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast. Now, back to an episode.